This week we talk about smells and the things that come along with smells, all the memories, all the interactions we've had. If you were to take, say, a crayon and to smell it, it would bring back memories of childhood, coloring, or maybe melting them down to make uh, different art programs. Uh, Smell is a very powerful tool. And so we look at smell from the perspective of our spiritual lives and how when we do things, say things, act out, we are giving off an odor that could be good or bad. And so I hope that today we can understand that just a little bit more. You may be seated. Um, You'll notice if you looked in your bulletin, um, I hope you opened it by now, uh, there's a lot of good information in there, in in case you're curious. Uh, But if you looked in your bulletin, you would see um, something that you have not seen before, at least with me. I'm sure you've seen it in the past, uh, but you you have actual, like, fill in the blank. Um, You know, it, it, that's it's something new for me, I have to say. Um, I've never been one to use that style, um, but it's been pressed upon me more and more to try to adapt my ways to all different learning styles to help everyone pick up as much as they can because, well, quite frankly, sometimes me just speaking can be boring which I understand and I agree with. Sometimes I get tired of myself talking, um, but then I tell myself to shut up and I don't listen. So who knows? Um, That's supposed to be a joke and you're supposed to laugh at that. Um, Okay, well, we're still waking up, I understand. Um, Today we are talking about smells. Smells, good smells, bad smells, all sorts of smells. Smell is the most powerful sense we have. Our nostrils are directly connected to the parts of our brain that help recall emotion and memory. It is deeply rooted in what we experience all throughout our lives. You can take a pack of crayons and you go, and it will invoke a smell because we've all played with crayons at some sort of time. You can take and walk into a house that has freshly baked bread. Oh, and for me, that brings back coming home from school and, and seeing my mom making some chicken noodle soup from scratch, and, and I know that there's going to be some nicely fresh baked bread to go along with it. Smell is the most powerful sense we have. It is evoking so much for us. But not all smells are good. Not all smells are good. Um, My parents' house was built like 1890 or something like that. At least the first section of it. It has like four sections that have been built throughout the years. But the the original section was built in like 1890. And when they did it, apparently it was common practice to do two different styles of septic tanks. One was for black water, you know, the the nasty stuff. 
Um, and then you had another septic tank that was for gray water, which is the not nasty stuff, but the stuff that, you know, you wash your hands, you take a shower. So less icky, but still not drinking water. And so we had two different septic tanks, which means we had to maintain two different septic tanks. The one, the black water one, obviously we had done professionally because you, and I don't even believe that the law requires uh, allows you to handle it personally. But the, the gray water one, yeah. Um, my dad and I were volunteered to maintain that one. If you don't know how bad it can get, take a bucket, wash your hands in it, take and uh, when you shower, stop up the bathtub and then just scoop out some of that water and let it sit for like mm, six months. Take some grease that you take from washing your dishes, throw that in there too. Let it, let it just all mingle in there and you'll start to get an idea of what that smell is like. It is horrendous. And it's water, so it splashes. It's, it's not thick, it's, 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 it's liquid. And so when you're scooping out the septic tank, it's splashing all over your hands, all over your clothes. It's getting in your hair and on your face, and it just permeates your skin. And there is no soap in the world that can cleanse you from that smell. It sticks with you for weeks. It's awful. It's, it's just downright awful. And that smell will stick with me for the rest of my life because it just brings back horrible memories. Smells are powerful. What do you remember smelling? What, what brings back different emotions? Maybe good emotions, maybe bad emotions. A nice spring rain. You walk outside after it gets done and you, what, what does that invoke in your head? Or autumn comes and the leaves are falling and you smell that. What, what does that bring for you? It, it's these emotions that are so strongly connected with how we respond in the future. And the passage that we're reading today also deals with smells and not some very good ones, for the most part. You see, death was in the air. At this time, Jesus was only six days away from his crucifixion. So he's been telling his disciples and telling his disciples and telling his disciples, I'm going to die. And so it is in their minds, it's heavy in the air. Not only that, but we are also going to be reading a section where they are eating with Lazarus. You know, the, the Lazarus that was dead. And then Jesus raised him. This is the same guy just a little bit after that event. So the, the stench of death is there. And everyone knows it. But there's great potential for something else to happen. And that is what we're going to be looking at today. And specifically, we're going to see how we share with those we read about a spiritual smell. The actions we do, the foundation of those actions, everything about our lives puts off a spiritual smell. So I ask that uh, if you are able to, that you please stand for the reading of God's word today in John chapter 12, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8. 
it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, the one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said, This is not because he, he, he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She brought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of God for the people of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into this idea of smells, as we look into your word, as we talk about what Mary did with the the fragrance, as well as Judas and and the smell that he was putting off. I pray, Father, that you might work within our hearts. Help us to understand the smell that we give to other people. It is in your name we pray. Amen. So Mary, Mary, she was doing things that allowed her to, to, to give off a sweet smell, a sweet fragrance to the people around her. She knew about this death. She knew about everything that was coming. And she said, look, I'm going to give of myself in a way that will help you all smell something better than this death that is constantly being talked about. And she does this through a couple of different ways. First off, Mary submitted herself to Jesus' teaching. This is huge. When we begin to talk about a woman becoming a disciple of Jesus, because women were not allowed to be disciples of Jesus. Women were not allowed to pick. They were not allowed to learn. It was uncommon for them to do this. And so for her to say, I'm going to submit myself to his teaching, is, is very taboo. But she's willing. Not only that, but as she submits herself to the teaching, she's also doing the very thing that got her in trouble a while ago as well, uh, which is she is not doing her job. Remember what the text says, Martha was busy serving? And you remember the previous story of Martha and Mary and and how she was already being a disciple and and Martha complains to Jesus and he says, well, she chose the better option. Here again, she chooses a better option, which is to sit at the feet of Jesus, to learn, to grow. Not only that, but she chose love over the importance of the law, which is something that I I think we lose sight of, mainly because of the fact that we don't know the law. There is a specific law in place that Mary broke, which is called, uh, and forgive me, my Hebrew is a little rusty, Hegia, or I'm sorry, Negia, Negia. This law specifically says you can't touch a member of the opposite sex unless they are your spouse or a very, very close relative. 
And if you do, shame on you, you'll be excommunicated. Very, very strict law. And they had that in place for a very good reason. They wanted to protect people from doing things that they weren't supposed to do, from being a little risque, so to speak. And so they had this law in place, but that meant that Mary coming to Jesus, touching him, anointing him, was not supposed to have been done. She was breaking the law. She was putting herself at risk of disgrace and excommunication from her society. She was putting Jesus at risk of being taught as one who does all these very risque things that he should not do. I mean, he already eats with sinners and tax collectors, but now he's letting women touch him? How dare he? But she said, my love for Christ is so much greater than this law that restricts me. And so I will give of myself. I will pour out of myself so that you understand how much I love you. It's that smell. It's something very tangible. And finally, Mary places Jesus first. We can see this throughout all of her actions because of what she is doing. She is being a servant. I hope many of you know that to, to wash someone's feet is a very lowly job. It is considered a slave's job to wash feet. We'll see more of this as uh, we have the Last Supper meal on Thursday in two weeks uh, because we will have that available for those who would like to have their feet washed by me because it's a very good idea to, to see that I am a servant. We are servants. It's biblical in this factor because Mary herself, she, she says, I, I'm going to serve you. And she comes and pours herself out. And not only that, but she brings costly perfume. Nard, with 300 denarii, is a, a year's wage. Okay, Think about how much you make in a year and say, okay, I'm going to take all of that and I'm going to spend it on a bottle of, bottle of perfume and then pour it out on someone's feet. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, Parmi wants to say, I don't think you could find a bottle of perfume that costs that much. But then again, I know that some of those fancier bottles, Chanel or whatever fancy French name there is for those things, I know that they can get quite expensive, which is ridiculous. But could you imagine taking all that you earn in a year and pouring it out in one moment for one person? That is is a level of submission that I have never been able to come to myself. Something that I think of and I say, the, the amount of economical distress she just put herself in, alone. But she is saying, you are worth it. You are first in my life. And I know that if I pour out everything that I have for you, it will be okay. Because everything else matters so much less than here, right now, with you. And by doing that, she is releasing this spiritual smell that people are seeing, being encouraged by. But, uh, unfortunately, Judas, he was a little stinky. 
Judas was giving off a stinky smell to everyone around him because he looks at what's going on and he throws a fit. How dare you? Why, why would you do this? Why, why, would you, why would you pour out this perfume? It could have been used for all these right things and, and, and it could have been something much better. But no, no. You see, his actions, once you go deeper, we see this. He is selfish. He's saying, look, I, I, I want the money in my common purse. Now, I don't know whether or not the disciples knew how crooked Judas was before he sold out Christ, but it was definitely present after. For, for them to write in the book, because he was a thief, he stole from the common purse. That's a bold accusation. And to think that he had that kind of reputation. And here he is trying to cover it up, but he can't. Because his motives are becoming clearer and clearer as the day goes on. About what he truly cares about. Not only that, but he's also concerned about the wrong things. That's what drives his selfishness in the first place. is because he has his heart set on what he wants versus what he should want. The things that he should desire. And he's allowed himself to become rampant in what he is thinking would better suit him. This is something that all new Christians struggle with. When someone comes to Christ, all of a sudden they have two things waging war within their bodies and they're learning that, well, I used to live this way and I love these things, but now Christ is calling me to do this. He walked with Christ for three years, heard his teachings, heard everything that he was saying, and, and so he knew this and he had this war within him saying, I, I want money. It's comfortable. It's safe. It, it, it is usable. But I have these teachings. I know who he is and I know what he wants me to do. And there's a war within each of us as we learn more about Christ and give less of us and more to him. But because he allowed himself to be selfish, he began to be concerned about all the things that were wrong. And that's where he looks at this moment. And he loses sight of the present for something unknown in the future. Because he's looking at all this money, he's looking at what he could do with it, but it's not realistic. Maybe if they took that bottle of nard and they went to go to the market, it was only worth 200 denarii instead of 300. He was probably just spitballing. Who knows? But, but okay, so now it's only 200, so now you had 100 less than what you thought you had. We do this all the time when we try to make plans. Well, as long as I can make this work, then this will work, and then, and then I can use that for this, and then that can go into this, and then I'll be able to get there. No one makes plans like that. I'm the only crazy one who tries to think out about 20 steps before. It, you, I, I'm trying to, you know, it, there's times where I, I say, well, if I do this, then I can accomplish this. Like, th that's how I plan my day. If I, if I go here, then there, and, and, and then I look, and then something happens because it's an unknown future, even though I want to plan it out. And it all falls apart. And I become less focused about the present, 
what's happening right now, the things that I can tangibly work in and affect within my own life, and I ignore all that for something that I have no clue how it's going to work out. And Judas does the same thing with this idea of, well, if we just had the money, then we could help the poor and we could do this. Even if his intentions were 100% pure, which I doubt they were, but even if we give him the benefit of the doubt, and he 100% desired to give that money to the poor, that was still the wrong decision for the very moment he was in. Think about that. Think about Jesus' words. I struggled with these all week. You always have the poor with you. But I am not going to be here much longer. So at that moment, Jesus was saying, yes, I am more important than caring for the poor. Because right now, I'm trying to give you this special teaching. I'm trying to give you this, this special moment that will propel you to do even more things like care for the poor. And this is where we go off track. This is where we begin to have struggles ourselves when we begin to think, well, as long as I'm doing things for God, as long as I'm doing what, you know, I'm not lying, I'm taking care of people in need, then I, it must be good, it must be okay. But it's that foundation of Christ first who propels us then to do these things that makes the difference. So I ask you, what do you smell like? Go ahead, give yourself a sniff. Did, did you forget to put deodorant on today? Did you forget to spray yourself with perfume or something? What do you smell like? What do you spiritually smell like? Because we could smell like Mary, which is a, a sweet smell. We, we could smell like that, and, and by our actions, by our words, or we could be stinky like Judas because of our actions and our words. There's this dynamic here that wars between us each and every day as we go throughout our lives. If we choose to do this or that, we are letting off an aroma that is sticking with people. Judas, you know, I like to think of the, the movement. It's called the social justice movement. If you're not familiar with it, uh, Google it. You'll learn. The idea is trying to bring justice to the world, trying to make it so that pe all people of all races, religions, everything, it's all just and fair. And to the above-ground text that they're saying, the things that they're, they're mentioning, it sounds great. It sounds like something that a Christian should stand behind. The problem is, is that once you go deeper and you look at that foundation of what they're trying to do, it begins to be a little bit like what Judas was doing, where he's saying, yeah, we could have taken given that money to the poor. Not really, because I would have taken all that money, put it in the person, and slowly would have drained it out and pulled out here and there and everything else. But, you know, hey, if I say it was going to the poor, then it makes me look good. And we have this same issue today where you have a lot of people saying, well, we just need to do this and this and this to bring social justice to the world and then everyone would be fair and it would be right and it would be wonderful. And, and churches have fallen for that teaching because it sounds a lot like what Jesus teaches. But they do it all without the foundation of Christ being the focus and the center for what they do. 
And so then it slowly leads them away and begins to turn it into selfish ambitions instead of a Christ-centered work. But Mary, being sweet-smelling, has Christ first. Christ is present in everything that she is doing. Everything she did at that moment was generated because of Christ, for Christ, and in light of Christ. She was giving thanks to him. Thank you for raising my brother. He is here with me. I am grateful for that. And because you are the, the, the one true son of God, I'm going to sit at your feet to learn and to teach. And because I know that you're going to die, I'm going to do this for you to help prepare you for burial. All of this is because of Christ, and that propels her to do even more good things because she has the right foundation for her actions. But there's a third one that we can do, which is nothing at all. And that's, a, that's sterile. That's, that's sterile. We can smell like nothing. And that's a bad one to smell like. I don't know if it's worse to stink like Judas or if it's to smell like nothing. For us to just sit on our hands, doing nothing, saying nothing, caring about nothing. That's dangerous. I, I, I would almost rather you stink trying to do something good than to smell like nothing. Because who likes walking into sterile places. Think of hospitals. How sterile they smell. I despise that smell. Because it, it has some emptiness to it. You go to smell something and you just can't. And so there's nothing. Which means there's no memories of it. There's, there's, there's nothing that attaches to it to help motivate you. Again, thinking of how our spiritual smell impacts people, if we come up to someone who does not know Christ and we are with them for an hour, and when we leave, what do they remember about us? Do they remember anything at all? Anything about what we said or did? Does it stink to them? Do they go running away like I used to try to do when my dad said, okay, it's time to clean out the gray water tank? And I was, I was oh, no, please. Or, or, or they're like, man, that person, that was such a nice conversation. That, they had such, such a, a presence about them that it was so sweet. And the way that they did this, the way that they cared for that person, or the way that they acted in that situation, I... I I wonder, what, what, why did they do that? And it sticks with them. And that smell lingers and lingers. And they want to know more. They want to smell it more. What do people smell like? What, sorry, what do people smell when they come to our church? When they meet us? Do they smell anything? Do they smell something good? Do they smell something bad? What do they smell? We need to ask ourselves this as we prepare for Easter where we hope that we can invite enough people that we can have even, even more people and, and it would be a wonderful, great thing. But then 
soon as they leave, what's going to be sticking with them? Do we give them a smell that is pleasant or not? We need to demonstrate our commitment to love for Christ. We need to demonstrate our, our stewardship, our our, our passion for, for caring for others, everything that we do and say based off from how we understand who God is, what he has done, and allow that to be the propulsion in our lives. And through that, everything we do and say will begin to smell just a little bit sweeter. And it will stick with people to the point where they will begin to want more and more and more. And they'll be beginning to ask you, where did you get that perfume? Well, let me tell you about a God who makes everything smell just a little bit sweeter. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, awaken our senses today. I think of that room, that time when Mary broke that jar and the smell that must have entered that place. And I think of that rotten stink from Judas who just sneered and said, why would you do that? That, that, that moment sticks with me. And I pray, God, that as we have these kind of moments, these kind of opportunities to, to smell like something in this world, that you might help us to give off that same sweet aroma that Mary did when she anointed your feet. That our actions and our words might not be based out of just trying to do good, or trying to gain something greater, or trying to help steady ourselves for the future, but may it be grounded in who you are, in the presence of you. May we act and do and say, so that as we leave people all throughout these coming days, they might be left with a sweet aroma of who you are. Creator God, you prepare a new way through everything we do and say, and I ask that now you help us to recognize your hand, working miracles beyond our imagination. Open our hearts to be transformed by the new things you are doing so that our lives may proclaim the extravagance and your love for all to show the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen. I now send you out into your community to make Christ-like disciples. Go. You are dismissed.